are listening to the Jersey Guys Podcast, the show that talks about hard rock, heavy metal, AOR, and West Coast music. In-depth conversation and special guests are always on tap, so settle in and turn it up. Now, here are your hosts, Tom and Mark. Hey everyone, welcome to the Jersey Guys Podcast. I'm Mark Ballow, and I'm going to be joined by my co-host Tom Coyne as we bring you our brand new podcast. We hope you guys enjoy this, so please follow along on our Facebook page and also subscribe to our YouTube channel where we're going to be uploading brand new episodes every week. And it's just it's something Tom and I have always wanted to do for probably the last couple of years we've been talking about it, and we finally got it off the ground. So we hope you guys enjoy it. Uh, we're going to really be talking about a lot of different types of rock music, uh, everything from hard rock and heavy metal to AOR and even some West Coast music, because uh, who doesn't love a little bit of yacht rock? Now, for our first episode, we thought we'd do something a little different. We thought the perfect guest to kick things off would be Phil Benedetto, who is the owner of Zigzag Record Stores in Brooklyn and Staten Island, New York. Both locations were legendary independent record stores, and especially the Brooklyn location where it all started. Phil shares some great stories and reminisces with Tom as they talk about their 40-year friendship, some of the times from Zigzag, including the legendary in-store appearances. Uh, They even talk about their favorite bands and concerts. It's a real nice trip down memory lane, and if you were a regular at Zigzag, you'll love hearing Phil's stories. It really was a great way to debut our podcast, and we hope everyone enjoys it as much as we did. So, without further delay, let's get right into the interview with Phil Benedetto from Zigzag Record Stores. Hey, everybody, this is Mark from the Jersey Guys Podcast. I'm here today with my co host, Tom Coyne, and we've got our special guest today, Phil Benedetto from Zigzag Records. Hey, Phil, how you doing? I'm doing good, Marky. <laughs> good. Hey, Tom, say hey, everybody. How are you, Mark? It's uh, good to be here, and we're finally getting this thing off the ground after about three months of uh, debating about what we were going to do. So we're ready to go. That's right. That's right. I know I, I know. you talked about this probably two years ago, right? It, so it, it came us, up about two years ago. It took but, us that uh, long to get it off the ground. I had to do a lot of research and figure out how to get everything going. I guess it took me to actually move to Jersey to uh, to get the Jersey Guys podcast off the ground. That's right. We, we, couldn't, we couldn't officially be the Jersey Guys podcast unless everybody here was from Jersey. Exactly. So now you're here. You're the newest member. Welcome to Freehold, home of Bruce Springsteen. (laughs) (laughs) I will leave that uh, comment (laughs) to drift into space. (laughs) There you go. So, so Phil, how's everything going? I'm doing well. I'm still uh, knee deep in vinyl. Knee deep in vinyl. These years, (laughs) just to let everybody know, as Phil is is the owner of the Zigzag Records, which started out in Brooklyn, New York, and. Tell me a little bit about the, the, the store, when it started, um, when you got involved working there, and we'll go back to that beginning part of it. The original store in Brooklyn opened in the mid-70s, and it was Arnie, who was the original owner, uh, with a partner, Gary, and I was just a customer, probably going there in the late 80s, I mean late 70s, excuse me, and uh, I guess I was that kid that was always in there so much that they asked me to, to work there. Uh, totally into the heavy metal stuff. That was my expertise. And uh, as you know, that's when it started to have the resurgence in the late 
70s, early 80s. And I jumped at the chance to work there. So going back prior to you working at ZigZag, how did you get into like music yourself? What 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 bands were you into early on? What well, was... I did have an older brother. He wasn't totally into the music, but into the music, and there were the albums. And I had an older sister who would love the Beatles. So that was my first introduction, really, to music was the 45s of the 60s. Uh, and I love that stuff today also. But uh, my brother had the Sabbath Bloody Sabbath album. Nice. And <laughs> so as a guy in his teens, putting that on and listening to that, that was it for me. And he had, if I can remember, he was big into Johnny Winter, Black Sabbath, Santana. Uh, but I became obsessed with it. So I think the one that really turned me was Black Sabbath, Sabbath Bloody Sabbath. After hearing that. I think I was hooked. Okay. And then what did you, you, uh, how did you get involved with, with ZigZag? You came in just as yeah, a Yeah, just customer as a customer. customer. So I guess I was one of those annoying guys like you were in, no, I'm a kid. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I was, I, I lived in there. So I was there all the time, spending any money I had. And at that time, there was a resident heavy metal guy, hard rock guy. His name was Tony. And I'd always pester him and always wanting to, uh, you know, get his knowledge on what I should be listening to, old stuff, new stuff. And I became that guy. You know, they asked me to work, he left, and then I became that guy. And so, and never looked back. So, so I've been doing this, you know, as, as a, a collector since the mid-70s, really, and never looked back. This is what I've done my entire life, which is crazy. <laughs> now, what, you, you you started working there. When was at what point did you transition over to say, "Hey, I think uh, you know I have the opportunity to to buy this store and, and be the owner." I always felt com confident in my knowledge and um, business wise, I was pretty good. I was a young entrepreneur because we used to we used to my friend Gary used to take pictures at shows, sneak in at those days when you had to sneak your camera in, and uh, I bought a button machine. And we made buttons, and we'd sell them outside of the concerts, okay. outside of the Palladium. He actually got arrested one time. And then I actually used to sell the buttons to ZigZag before I worked there and other places, uh, Head Shop in King's Plaza. I remember that. <laughs> the, the Jolly Joint. The Jolly Joint. Yeah. So, and then I was totally into the whole thing. Like I said, I would tape shows. I had pen friends and tape trade us. I was like totally immersed in the whole scene. Okay. And then of course going to shows. Yeah. What what were some of the bands you uh, were into back then that you saw? Oh, some come of the shows on. Riot. Where at? Oh, they well they played Zappas. I saw Riot play uh, in Marine Park uh, Block Party. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but there was Zappas which was close in Brooklyn. The Brooklyn Zoo opened up later. That was of 80, course, 80, of course, Lamours, you, you know, which we would air all the time. Well, now um, that 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 kind of brings us to the point where so now you're working at, at Zigzag. First of all, did what time did you come in at this? Like Tom, were you? I was a '70s Zigzag uh, regular every weekend too. Uh, I would say my my senior year of high school, which was '76, '77, '78. Uh, me and Phil struck up a friendship, I want to say, 81-ish, 80, 81. 
So um, at that point, you were working at the store, or you you were actually when did you actually buy the store? Uh, approximately eighty five, eighty six. Eighty five, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so you were you were actually just working there part time. Tom starts coming in. Yeah, I worked full and part time, depending on what else I was doing at the time. I actually worked for uh, Warner, WIA, Warner Electra Atlantic for a little while. Okay. Yeah. Legs Diamond brought us together. Legs Diamond? (laughs) Legs Diamond brought us together, yeah, because I used to go and I really didn't know Phil then. I I knew uh, Stan, who was a guy that worked there on the the weekends. Because like I said, I started there from the 70s when he was there, but we didn't know each other. We didn't grow up together as as kids. And um, I was in zigzag one day, thumbing through... Endless barrels of records there, and I had a, a the first Legs Diamond I was looking at, and he was behind the counter, and he screamed at me, "That's awesome!" <laughs> and I was like, "Really?" And he's like, "Yeah, it's like uh, American Deep Purple, right. which was like one of my favorite bands." And I remember I bought the album, loved it, came in the next week to tell him how much I loved it, and then we realized how much we had in common, which was many things. One of which, at the top of the list, was our uh, total uh, adoration for Black Sabbath since we were kids okay. and it just took off from there. <laughs> That's good good stuff. So now one of the things I always wanted to and I love hearing the stories about this is the the zigzag started doing the in stores, right? Mm-hmm. And when did that all start? Well, the first one I believe was Iron Maiden. Really? So and that was when they first came over here which had to have been what 80 81 81. Okay. Now, I don't know, I was probably influential in setting that one up. Some of the other ones I definitely set up, but probably Arnie, who owned the store at the time, got in touch with, I guess, the management. And it was, it was, it wasn't that difficult, really, to, to set them up. Because all did, the ones that I called to, to set up, everybody said, yeah. Really? Yeah. And How especially did, later on, when they were playing Lemoore's, it was a no-brainer in Brooklyn, because you could stop at zigzag in the afternoon and play Lemoore's that evening. And Did you work with the, the guys from Lemoore to say, you know, oh, hey, very closely, yeah. coordinated where bands were coming in yeah. and saying, hey, let's bring them George over. George and store. Mike were the owners, Alex, the DJ. Yeah, we worked very, very close. We had a really good relationship with and Lemoore's. Who yeah. were some of the, the in-stores that you did? I mean, you mentioned the Iron Maiden with Deanna. There's probably so many I'm forgetting, but, but the biggest ones were we did Iron Maiden, the original lineup. We did Motorhead, original lineup, and after Brian Robinson lineup, Girl School, Twisted Sister, Venom, and at the Venom install, Metallica was there. I know I did Crocus. I think we did Overkill. We did Anthrax. King Diamond. Wow. <laughs> Babylon AD. Okay. That's a little bit later period, right? <laughs> now, how, what kind of, I mean, this draw like huge crowds in some of these or the early oh yeah Iron yeah. Maiden yeah uh, I mean, I the lines around the co- down yeah. the block and around the corner really oh yeah, yeah. wow <laughs> that must be really cool now so now basically so so you you then buy the store where you, and you continue to do the in-stores after you bought it or when I, I slowed down afterwards because I found them to be a lot of work <laughs> okay and you know it got to be like a political thing um and if I actually wrote some early on for like Metal Forces. I was doing some writing uh, and reviews. I did some album covers. I did some bios. But as you probably know, it was hard to be honest because if you really didn't like something, mm-hmm. 
You yeah, know, I had that problem when I was doing reviews for all those UK right. magazines. It's hard stuff. to say. I think this stinks. You don't have to be that harsh, but it would mm-hmm. be hard to criticize without without uh, offending. Yes. So so all of a sudden now, record companies would call up or and say, hey, do you want to do an install with such and such? And you think to yourself, five people are going to show up. So it's going to be more embarrassing. Right. Than it's worth. I mean, you know, the guys come in, nobody shows up. Well, that was that Babylon AD. That was bad. That was, nobody showed up. Very few people. More guys that work there than guys that came. (laughs) Right, right. (laughs) (laughs) Like, can you get their autograph again, please? Just to be, you know. So, so I sort of soured on it. I became, that at that point, I was thinking more business wise than fan wise. So, right. Now, at what point, how long did you have the Brooklyn store before you decided to Just a, open a up? Just a year and a half, two years. And then you opened up the Staten Island yeah. location? Yep. Okay. Which is amazing. I you think back on it because I started with nothing and a year and a half later, I'm opening up a second store. What made you want to say, hey, I'm going to open up a second store? I just wanted to grow and, and Staten Island at the time, I didn't know too much about it, but visiting there... I thought it had had a good rock uh, following, mm-hmm. you know. And if I was going to do it, I wasn't going to open up a second store in Brooklyn. Right. Long Island was had it had a lot of stores. Staten Island really didn't. Now going back, I, I know we talked a little a few weeks ago, and uh, we were talking about there was other zigzag locations prior. Yeah, there to- was a lot. I mean, the the guys who originally Arnie and Gary, there was. Long Island store. I had worked in the Long Island store. It was in Glen Cove. It was short-lived. They had other stores that didn't last. I forget where. I think there was another one in Long Island. They sort of had a parting of the ways, and there was a, a really good zigzag in Manhattan. I had worked there a few times. That was a great store. So there was two owners originally. Yeah, were, uh, two owners, and they sort of split ways. Okay. So he, the main store for this. The other owner was in Manhattan. That was First Avenue in the 90s. It was a really good store. And then he had closed that and then opened up on St. Mark's Place as Smash. Do you remember that? I kind of remember the name. He yeah. was right on St. Mark's as Smash. That was yeah. by Sounds. Right, across the yeah. street from Sounds, yeah. So realistically, the lineage of this, there was probably at least half a dozen stores or more, at least half a dozen or more that originated from the Brooklyn store. Okay. So now we talked about this, me and Tom, because we were saying one of the best things about like the, the independent record stores at the time is, is and back at that time when the music scene was so different, I mean, it's the characters that came in, right? I mean, <laughs> you've mentioned some. You guys can talk a little bit about that. Well, I, I've, another likeness that me and Phil always had was for... Uh, vintage professional wrestling what it was back in the 60s and the 70s and it was a lot of the same type of professional wrestling fans heavy metal fans there was a lot of similarities in in in, in that fan base like very over the top rabid crazy fans which we both were and that just brings out a lot of crazy personalities in we people. were all characters including myself right everybody who worked yeah. in the store was a character for better or for worse. Let's name Stan and and Vinny and and uh, Russell. Everybody was a character, and all the customers were characters. Everybody had nicknames, whether they liked it or not. They got a nickname. Exactly. I was nasty, but I was but I was kind hearted. I so it wasn't like I was 
given you a nickname to belittle you, but that was your nickname, and everybody clung to their nicknames. So right. you had the mosquito, and right, you had uh, Staten Island stud, but although that, I didn't give him that one. Uh, <laughs> you had Kevin, Kevin the animal. Yeah, you had uh, Mike Death. You Fat had Alfred Fleischer. the hairy-handed one. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was, and it was all in good fun. There was no, no. never any. I never was in that store in Brooklyn where there was like a fight or. No. Yeah, it was like everybody. Uh, it was like Cheers. Everybody ex- exactly. Everybody felt time. comfortable, you know, and like you could be a freak and be welcomed. You know? right. <laughs> right, absolutely right. And, and, and I think we kind of took a solace in being because we were maybe. Freaks ourselves, but maybe yes. not so overtly <laughs> freakish as right. some others. But there was a kindred spirit amongst uh, yeah, everybody. And then, as Mark well knows, then it became a hangout. People would eat their lunch there, you know, just hang out. And okay, you know, I was like, as long as you buy something, hang out as long as you like. Well, that's what I kind of did. I mean, where I started going to the store, I I actually became aware of Zigzag. I've been a Jersey guy, you know, all my life. Um, so I never like really. Me. Do what? Unlike me. Unlike yourself for three months. <laughs> right. <laughs> but uh, no, I mean, I, I used to go to the, the local record stores around New Jersey, but then it was funny, and I've, I've told this to Tom before, with me, I went to a KISS uh, convention or KISS Expo, whatever you want to call it at the time. They were doing them in New Jersey, and you guys had a table set up, and I ended up buying a CD. It was an import CD. So that's how I met you? Yeah, well, I think I actually bought the CD from Russell. Okay. Russell. Yeah, Russell did it with me, yeah. And uh, I think... He threw in a, a business card okay. in the in the bag. So when I got home later that day, you know, I'm looking through it and I'm like, Zigzag Records, Staten Island. I'm like, that's pretty close. So I, I had a vacation uh, week one day and I took a trip over and uh, that's how I first started going to Zigzag in Staten Island. But, so if, if people listening ever saw the movie High Fidelity, that's the uh, closest. Absolutely. Never went to Zigzag. That was the closest it was. Every, they were, everybody was a character. Yep. <laughs> totally. <laughs> but we could have did it better. <laughs> yeah. Better taste of music. <laughs> <laughs> so, so then, how how long did you, eventually? Uh, I want to go back actually. Prior to this, uh, talk about like the original owner. You said was Arnie was one Arnie of, Goodman. Yeah. Now you said uh, you told me at one point he uh, managed bands and stuff like that. Yes, he dabbled with Savoy Brown. I think he put an album out with Ingve Malmsteen. He had some col- collaboration. What was it? Um, that band Thrasher. Thrasher, I think. Thrasher. With Carl Kennedy. Yeah, he did. His, he had a big part of that band. Yeah. He he was involved in a lot of projects. And that's what made him, I believe, sell the store at the time to me because he wanted to get involved in that. I think it was Savoy Brown. He used to go out on the road with them. Oh, yeah. It was he was like a road manager. With Jim Simmons, yeah. Yeah. He used to disappear for like weeks at a time and right. leave Phil in charge because he was on the road with them. Oh, okay. At the time, there was still something of a. So now, basically, you you had now at this point, you you've got two stores. It's like what nineteen eighty seven or so, right now. Yes, um, booming. I, the what? It was booming. Booming. Well, the music. I mean, everybody was buying records. Records yeah, were selling. Bands were selling tons and tons of albums. I mean, that was such a, a different time than what it is nowadays. But I mean, so how long did did that carry on until you eventually ended up? You you ended up. Selling the Brooklyn store? Well, I had, I had originally lived in Brooklyn. Opened up When I opened up Staten Island, shortly after I moved to Staten Island. So I had Staten Island in Brooklyn. And then I wound up moving to New Jersey. So to go, to go from New Jersey 
to Brooklyn, Staten Island to Brooklyn to New Jersey, it was becoming too much. And we had the ticket master in Staten Island, not in Brooklyn. Too much responsibility needed to be there. So it was getting getting too much to go back and forth to Brooklyn. So I was either going to close it and take the stock or Stan at the time <clears throat> worked for me. He bought it from me. Okay. And then you just basically concentrated on Staten Island for right. a while. And eventually, I mean, towards the end there, and I, I actually started going, it was probably the late 90s when I was going to the zigzag in Staten Island. And then you eventually ended up closing Staten Island. And well, you forget that I started on Staten Island in the smaller store and then had to go to the bigger store. That's right. <laughs> right. Two locations right, <laughs> right in the right. store. That's right. Yeah. And at one time, I was the only ticket master on Staten Island. Oh. I had some pretty big crowds showing up oh, for tickets and stuff. That That's one of the huge, reasons I used to hate to go to the store sometimes. Huge because, crowds. Yeah, it was, you, you would go there to hang out and pick up your music and there'd be Before the 200 internet, people in the parking lot. Yeah. Before be, the internet, remember what waiting on line for tickets was like. Sure. And another reason I needed to be there was, at that time was cash only because you could imagine <laughs> the uh, responsibility. Yeah. Right. That's right. Wow. So then you eventually ended up after, I mean, obviously everything changed. I mean, in the 2000s, all these downloading Napster, yeah, everything came it. along. It killed the whole, yeah. especially the independent record store business. Yeah, I mean, at that point, you, you were living in Jersey already, right? So yeah. you were just like... So I decided at that time, I could see the writing on the wall that this was just going downhill. It wasn't terrible, but it was going downhill. And I couldn't see that it was going to ever become what it was again. So before losing money, I decided, there was still some years left. That's when I closed Staten Island, opened up in Jersey near where I lived, and worked by myself for the most part. I remember, I, I think I was only went to the Jersey It wasn't store. a bad store, but, it was but, a nice but, store, but the interest just wasn't there the way yeah. it was. Especially the way, I mean, just no one was buying records anymore. Right. That was the thing. So now... I mean, beyond the whole record store thing, I mean, I just listened to you two guys before we started recording here right now. I mean, you talked about shows you went to and things. What were some of the, the great shows that you guys saw? I mean, you talked about Lemoore, you talked about some of the other clubs in Brooklyn and stuff. But Well, you want overall from the 70s, sure. one of the greatest yeah. shows? Yeah. Well, you know, we, we've talked about this a few times. I've actually just talked about it with you, too. I, it, to get into the great shows with, that we've seen is more of a 70s thing because yeah. Arena Rock. our age was such that we were a little bit on the older end of most fans of the 80s. So I know my speaking for myself, and I also him, too, with the responsibility of the store, there were a lot of shows I missed. I mean, there was a ton of stuff I saw in the 80s, but a lot of stuff I missed because I had a responsible job. I had my own apartment. So I just couldn't live in these clubs back then. When we, in the 80s, if you wanted to see a band that was the headlining band, you saw at the earliest, 12.30, 1 o'clock in the morning. Sure, and Lamore especially was. Yeah, I was going to say so Lamore. Like, if you go back and look at the bands that played Lamore's, and I don't even remember what shows I went to and I didn't go. I, I know after a while I got burnt out. Just couldn't do it anymore. But so many bands played them. If that's if that was your era, I mean, you would have seen you could every have seen great every band. band really. I mean, Kiss played there. Iron Maiden played there. Yeah, I really handpicked the stuff. You know, like, and I look back and I pride myself and say that you know, saw Badlands. I saw Leatherwolf yes. at the Cat Club. I saw uh, Lizzie Borden at the Cat Club. But I really had to handpick a lot of shows because I was in my later 20s and I wasn't an 18-year-old kid. 
we'll go back, go back further though. I mean, you talked about some of the shows. Did you guys go to shows together? Um, we didn't go. Did we go to that no. many shows together? I don't remember. We, we went to, you know, I actually didn't go to that. I went to, to more shows with probably Vinny Lubrano and Rob Paris than I did with, with Phil. But I really pride myself on the stuff I saw in the 70s yeah. because... I saw Led Zeppelin. Unfortunately <laughs> for me and Phil, we're, <laughs> we're old, enough, old enough to say we saw all these bands. Seventh Row sent the Madison Square Garden to see Led Zeppelin. I mean, come on. <laughs> so did, did you see where you're at that show, too? Uh, we were on different nights. I was. I went on the third. I don't know what night you I went. Two I went. Nights, yeah, I he went two night. nights. I went one night. I certainly did not have seats on the floor. I was <laughs> not in the blue seats, but I guess the old yellows at the garden. And then I'm a early album, like first album type guy with a lot of these bands. So if you see them on that first tour when they're playing most of the first, album, you know, right. So to see Iron Maiden when they first came here, that was amazing. To see early Judas Priest, I saw Where Judas Priest Sin after Sin tour, and then you used to get. At the Palladium was three bands for right. anywhere from three dollars and fifty cents to seven dollars and fifty cents. So it was Judas Priest, Angel, and the Gods. Right. Okay. That was a very common show yeah. too. I mean, to see all these bands, Ario Speedwagon on you know early tours, and it was just it was amazing. The music was so great. What What are some of your favorite bands from that back then? Well, I was Sabbath was always my number one. Number one. The greatest album to me ever made was Rainbow Rising. Huge Dio fan. You know, then there was the UFO. Who am I missing? <laughs> There's so many. Gary Moore. Gary Moore. Thin Lizzie. Thin Lizzie, one of my favorite. Phil Linnett, the rock and roll hero, genius. Uh, yeah, I mean, just list is endless. Nice. Big White Snake fan, but I like early White Snake, the blues era. Mm-hmm. Uh, the list is endless, really. I, 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 if I named five, I'd be disappointed later because I didn't. I forget another five. That I didn't name. I, I I think we always we, we always talk about like if you had to pick one or two things that identify, especially like with DVDs, we always say uh, Deep Purple at the California Jam, nineteen seventy four, right. and uh, Alcatraz live in Japan with Steve Vai, <laughs> and like, Rainbow Munich, and, and Rainbow right those three. Rainbow if you take Seven. those three together, you say okay, that epitomizes like what we love. Yeah. So now, um, what have you basically? When did when did the Jersey store officially close? When were you out of the record store? I was business? in touch, but it was probably about thirteen years ago. About thirteen. And what have you been doing since then? Well, I got a master's degree and was hoping for the first time in my life to get a real job back when I was fifty years old. But at that point, uh, white males fifty years old need not apply for the most part. Mm-hmm. So okay, now what am I doing? Well, just went back to what I've done all my life. I started selling memorabilia on eBay and. To this day, I'm doing it. I say I have over, over, probably over two hundred thousand pieces of vinyl. Well, I can attest to that because I've, I've been down in this dungeon. So, and that's not mentioning posters and magazines, books, pins. The list is endless. So that's what I do. And this is stuff you're still actively selling on eBay, um, or this is yeah, your actually, still actually like a nut. I'm still actively buying, but yes. <laughs> Buying and selling. Yeah. The nut gene never leaves. No, it doesn't. As a matter of fact, it's reverted <laughs> it, it, itself. Exactly. Me too, yes. It's, so you go through a phase where you're this maniac kid collector in your teens. You start gr- growing older. You can't, you know, you start getting more responsibilities. Some of us get married. That's a big responsibility. Some of us have kids. Big responsibility. You say, you know, I got to cool down on this. And you see a lot of people stop going to shows, stop getting into the music, stop. Okay. And you say, how long can I... You get older and say, all right, how much longer can I do this? Let's start getting rid of stuff 
can't take it with you. So now, at this ripe old age, me and this maniac, we're buying more than ever. It's ridiculous. So we go to the Dead Daisies concert, and I just went to the to the uh, merchandise stand. I bought the shirt. I bought the autographed CD. I got the sticker. I got the poster. I go, <laughs> I'm 62 years old. What am I doing? <laughs> I just bought a huge part of a guy's Johnny Winter collection. Okay. In fact, when we're done doing this, I want to sh- I want to show it. To- I mean, I have I've been buying from this guy. He was a, he was a, the Johnny Winter maniac, and when Johnny Winter passed away, he got in touch with his ex-wife, okay. who had all his stuff from the seventies. He bought the famous gold snake bracelet from. Wow. Yeah, he has scarves, jackets, jeans, pictures, and I've been buying stuff from him that he's been willing to sell me. So, uh, yeah, this was somebody, I was infatuated with Johnny Winter when I was like 13, 14 years old. And here I am again, 62 years old and not much has changed. (laughs) I think now at this stage of the game, it it just, this is what made you happy when you were younger. Exactly. And and it still makes us happy. Right, right. So we went to the show the other night and I had to, I had to run up to the, the front of the stage at the end of the show. So how, how no, I, I said that, I said that to my girlfriend. I, I said, enjoyed it. Phil reminds me of like when we were eighteen. It's like I can't take it no more. I have to get to the front to be like three inches away from Glenn Hughes. But I love that because it was like we both were like in awe of him still, and he's always again like we became friends very early on. He was somebody like when I knew how much he loved him, and how much I was like we. That was like an instant bond. And here we are 40 years after the fact. And um, there's something to be said about it. It really is. I, I, I kind of look at it sometimes. I feel bad for a lot of people that don't have that type of enthusiasm and love for something in their life. Because I don't come across that many people that do. I think that's why I've had friends like you and Phil for so long. Because we share this, you know. Right. So, well, at that, so at that point, I'm a 62-year-old up at the front of the stage cheering on a 71-year-old. Right. <laughs> Yet, I felt like I was 17. Right. Right. <laughs> right. So there's something to be said about it. Because, you know, how many times have we heard as we grow up and through life, you know, like how you stay young is by still acting sure. young, yeah. you know? So not that we're doing it forcefully. It just comes natural. So, Well, I think most people, you know, when you... you, you as you're growing up, when you hit your teenage years, especially in music, if you get influenced by something at that point, that stays with you your whole life. Well, I always heard yes. that. The, the yes. music you'll love for the rest of your life at, is when you're 17 years old. Yes. Okay. So for us, when you think back, if that's 1977, it makes plenty of sense. Right. <laughs> right. Well, yeah, you talk about the band, you saw the, you know, the, the Sabbaths and stuff like right. that. I mean, that, that was right in that prime period when that stuff was, you know, the biggest thing. So, yeah. I mean, there was nothing that in my entire life, I can honestly sit here and say there's nothing that is ever taking me in more than when I discovered hard rock in the 70s. I just remember just like looking at the guys and the album covers and the music and just being so overtaken by it. Yeah, there was a whole lifestyle. We lived right. That was, exactly. that was you were always a rock guy. Till night, no right. matter what, what you did. Whether it was in style or out of style, you were always a rock guy. Yeah. And you felt a little bit different because you knew all these bands that, you know, everybody knew Led Zeppelin and this, but you knew Legs Diamond and you knew Montrose and you knew, you know, the Edgar Winter group and stuff like that. And uh, it, it, 
it, and the 80s was the epitome of that because there were so many bands. Even then, you knew the, the bands that other guys didn't know. That kind of set you apart. Right, right. Well, I think, like, for me, like, you know, I, 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 we've talked about this, you know. I, I'm about 10 years younger than you guys. So, for me, it's like I always said I'm an 80s child. I grew up in that, that arena rock, right. the hair band era, you know. Some people don't like the term, some people, whatever it's, you know, you want to say. But for me, it's just a way to describe that the, the type well, of Well, it's actually become a good way to describe. We, I, it, back then, we wouldn't have called it that because it was kind of no. like dismissive. But right. it kind of gets the point across of what you like. It's a description yeah. now, right? Exactly. I mean, if someone says, hey, what kind of music do you listen to? I, I'll say I listen to the hair bands, you know, because that it's, 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 it's easy for people to understand exactly what you're talking about. So, I mean, I, I don't have a problem with the term. I know, like you say, some people don't or whatever. But, uh, yeah, I'm an 80s kid, so I grew up in the in the time of when I was going to see the Bon Jovis and the, you know, the Teslas and the Skid Rows and all those types of bands. That was kind of my era, you know, in a way. Plus a million other bands. We talk about some of the bands that most people don't even really know right. about. Which we hope to, you know, kind of talk about that stuff as we go forward in this podcast. That's And you and I have talked about this, about what we're going to talk about and different future episodes and stuff like that. And we're going to get, get real deep into some bands that maybe weren't the most popular bands or whatever, but, you know, we're going to kind of get real real deep into their discographies and stuff. But what do you, uh, any anything that, that's, I mean, you want you saw the Dead Daisy shows, and obviously things have been a little bit crazy for the last year and a half, and there really hasn't been shows to go to, but what have you seen, like, more recently? What do you, you listen to anything new, or are you still just listening to the old stuff, or? Mostly the old stuff. I try to listen to new stuff. I try to be open-minded. I don't want to be closed-minded, but I have a very short tolerance, and I'll know in three seconds whether I'm going to like it or not. So, mostly, as far as new, Dead Daisies is not new, because they're older, but new band with Glenn Hughes. I sure. That album is godlike to me, and I love the Red Van Fleet, which is a topic of... A lot of people don't like them. I don't get it. But we, could, we could do a whole future yeah. episode with Phil back here talking about Greta Van Fleet and all. I just think they're amazing. Yeah, I do too. I've seen I've seen them live. I have all this stuff. I, I just uh, don't get why they're not big. I mean, they're fairly big in, in the confines of the U.S., but they they should, in my opinion, should be an arena act. Yeah. But that's the environment. But the funny that we'll, thing is, so if I get hungry for new music, I finding myself like I was telling Tom yesterday. I go back and listen to stuff from the seventies that I may not that I may have overlooked but didn't give them a fair shot. Such as, well, <laughs> I listen to I, I as the biggest Dio fan. I go back and I listen to Elf, but it, I just couldn't do it. <laughs> <laughs> and I listen to Trapeze as a big Glenn fan, and they're good, but weren't great. So I understand why I didn't. I they weren't. He- they wouldn't have been heavy enough for me in the 70s to totally get into because it was tough because I was judging everything against Black Sabbath which was hard to do because Black Sabbath by far was the heaviest but I did get him to open his ears to uh, Dio Sacred Heart so oh yeah which well, because I'm a, I like the early, I like the first two. It's a different album than the first yeah. two. It's not as heavy as the first two. It's not as overproduced as the first two. But anything Dio, I would, that was unbelievable. That is my favorite Dio album, Sacred Heart. Yeah, really. Yeah, the songs are tremendous on it. But it's got a little bit. It's it's not as you know macho metally as the first two uh, records were. But well, we sat there and uh, a couple weeks ago we were together and we were watching the oh, uh, the Rainbow Seventy Seven Munich. 
unbelievable. DVD. One of the really, greatest really. live shows ever. Yeah. Well, and the, and the the crazy thing about that, uh, a week after that, I saw James Bird, who was the lead guitarist in Fifth Angel, another band that we adored, write that 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 was the best band, the best lineup, the yes. best concert of all time. And this is just like something I mean, you know. I, and even on the, uh, Ken Tamplin on YouTube made reference to that that concert too as being one of the greatest things he's ever saw. Okay. <laughs> And when I saw him, well, I saw him twice, that tour with Dio, but the first time at the Beacon Theater, they only played three songs. Really? Yeah. Uh, in the middle of the third song, Blackmore throws his guitar on the floor and walks off the stage. And we wait, and we wait, and we wait. Dio finally comes on and said, listen, Richie can't play with a humming his guitar. We're going to be back. We're going to put on a great show. And they never came back. Dio was gone. And the funny thing is, if you read the new Dio book, he mentions that in the book. That show. Yeah. About that. I think he said it might have have been the last show of the tour in New York. Wow. And Blackmore throws his guitar down and walks off. (laughs) And that was 1970. And he said, I promised to come back and it never happened. Wow. And that was was 77. It was either 77 or 78. Wow. Probably 78. Yeah. that's, That's what I would think. Did you see you see him? I didn't. That? I didn't see that show. No. And then, uh, well, then you you saw Rainbow with with Grand Bonnet. Grand Bonnet, great. Yeah. yeah. That, that Which is an oddity in itself because you wouldn't have thought here's Grand Bonnet looking like Mister Peanut, short hair <laughs> and a suit. You wouldn't take to this guy, especially after Dio. But I thought that album was great. I was never a big. We over. We've argued about this. I I never took to that album. I don't dislike it. I just never thought. It was anything special. Oh, Lost in Hollywood? Come yeah, on. that's the best song on the album, in my opinion. But <laughs> I, I never really warmed up to that album. It just, I, I don't know. I, I didn't like him in, in Rainbow, but what he did after that mm-hmm. was another thing we could do like another episode on with Alcatraz and Michael Schlenker and, and Pelletieri and countless other things. Well, we talked about one of the future episodes, we're going to do uh, an in-depth on uh, the Michael Schenker group, right? Yeah, and I'd, I'd like to do that with Phil also. I think that would be a good uh, in-depth uh, Michael Schenker group discography. Yeah, yeah, I think that would be very cool. So, uh, anything else that you wanted to, to talk with Phil about that? Uh, just off the top of my head, if you had to pick three artists that, that identified or identifies who you love the most, who would you say? And well, I have to say Black Sabbath, no matter what. Correct. Black Sabbath, that's it. Because that started this whole thing. And then, of course, anything Dio. So you want to pick Rainbow Dio. And then a the third is tough. I mean, because I, I hate to name something because there's probably 15 other bands I should mention, you know. How about Uriah Heep? I loved Earl, but Byron period. Okay. Byron was... That period. He's very place. picky with Uriah Heep. He's yes. not as open-minded as we are. I think right. he, I think he likes uh, maybe some of the I don't like lineup stuff. changes, and I especially don't like singing lineup changes. Because while a lot of guys focus on the guitar, I was always into the singer. Okay. That, that's Me too. And then I have to mention Riot because because they were so, those albums, were, the early albums were so great, and even the Red Forest album was so great. And they were like... The neighborhood band for me. So it was like, that was my band. Twisted Sister, too. Okay. Because we went to see them constantly, and they were like neighborhood bands, and it was only first in the neighborhood, and then in, you know, the state, and then in Tri-State, and then, uh, obviously, Twisted Sister made it 
Riot really, they almost made it. Right. But yeah, so I have to give special shout out and to those guys. Guy Sparenza used to come to the store. Yeah, he was in the store, yeah. His exact customer. Yep. Oh, we, oh, we did Twisted Sister uh, in store also, I forgot. Uh-huh. Okay. <laughs> but here's I, the thing, Mark, I just wanted to mention before you close this. The amazing thing to me is how many people remember the stores. Some remember Brooklyn, some remember Staten Island, some remember both. But now, so many years after the fact, and I can meet people still. Now it's going to be people, older people, and say, you know, what did you do? Where did you live? Oh, I had a store. Where? In Brooklyn. What store? Zigzag. Zig, I used to shop there. It's like, it's unbelievable how how people so fondly remember it. And, and it, it's, it's, it's just amazing. And you're wearing a zigzag shirt. People right. are making zigzag shirts. That's right. I bought a, uh, someone made a zigzag painting of the front of the store. Uh, the original signs are hanging up on display somewhere in Brooklyn. Wow. <laughs> no, it, well, it's... it's uh, the Staten Island Advance, some months ago, did an article, the most places missed on Staten Island. They talk about zigzag rockets. I saw that. Wow. Who knew? Right. <laughs> we were just jerky kids hanging out, having a good time listening to music. Right. But you realize how many people you influenced and how many people fondly remember it. It's amazing. Well, that was a great thing about independent records. You know, like you said, the fact that you just, you gravitated towards if you were a certain type of fan of a certain type of music and you you found your crowd, you found your people. You know, you could go there, you could hang out all day long. You know, you could listen to music, you could talk music. And it was like, that. that's so influential. And let's give Vintage Vinyl a shout out because because even though there might have been competition, never really was competition, but they lasted so long and it's such an amazing place. And all those live in-store appearances, absolutely amazing. And to have them close now too, I know it's sucks. almost like the. It seems like a final nail in the coffin. Because I started to become a, a fan again. You know, I wasn't an owner. I would go and I need to buy stuff. Well, that's where I would go. Sure. You know, and I enjoyed. It. Then I started getting into. Let's go to the record store. This is great. You know, and then and then I closed. So. Yeah. But what you were saying about different uh, genres of music and independent records—that's how the village was when I started going to the village. Mm. I'd say about 74, 75, when I was 14, 15. Right. And you'd go to, there were so many record stores, but a lot of it wasn't stuff you'd like. You'd walk in, it was a punk store. You'd, I remember you'd walk in and you'd feel like intimidated as a 14-year-old kid because there were these older punk guys in there and you'd be like, I got to get out of here quick. Yeah. You know, and then there was the new wave stores and then, then, then you'd walk into a store and it was a hard rock store and you'd feel, you know, that I'd talk to Phil and we'd say, oh, we like the same records. We used to go spend some of our weekends going to yeah. St. Mark's Sound to Record Shop and then Chinatown. Yeah. And you missed that whole thing. That's a, that's another topic for another day. Right. I had a brief, uh, when I was about maybe 15, I, my, my summers, I would used to go to like It's Only Rock and Roll. Um, yeah, lot, those stores all in that area down in, in the village. And that was... Uh, I, the I village was... A, I used to just take days off from work and spend the entire day. Yeah. yeah. And then spend you could the go. So it, wasn't, it was the whole art and music culture, obviously, Greenwich Village. But you could go there, and then you would go to Forbidden Planet, the bookstore. That's right. And then you would go to Trash and Vaudeville, clothes store. Right. And then you would go to Capizio's, because, of course, in the 70s, you had to have Capizio's, right. or you weren't anything. <laughs> <laughs> and then, of course, you went to Ray's Pizza. So it That's was right. just it was just the whole, it was great. It was, you know. And then all the other oddball stores, I could mention, just crazy stores. 
you know, with antiques and toys and anything you could think of was was all there. So yeah, well, I once walked in the trash in Vaudeville with a friend of mine, and, and who was in there with David Johansson. Yeah. Really? So yeah. Well, so. you always used. I always used to see quote unquote rock stars there walking the streets. Always. I remember Daryl Hall. You could, oh, you know, especially those days. Lenny Kay was all over the place buying records from Patti Smith Band. You could run into anybody over there. Yeah. But I, I, Squire lived down there somewhere. A time used to run into him. Okay. I remember what really set me off going back there again because I had initially used to go there in the seventies, and then when I met him, and I'd look for different. I say, for instance, like a, a Legs Diamond album. I remember I had found the first one in his store, found the third one in his store, couldn't get the second one. Diamond is a hard rock. Well, where do I go now? I have to go to the village and unearth every store. And, and I did find the copy. And I remember telling him, I got it. <laughs> so that was that was just a, it, it was a great time. It was a great era in the 80s because this country was, was a great place to live. Yeah. Well, that's how you did it. I mean, like I said, if, if you were looking for music, I mean, there wasn't the internet. There wasn't, you know, I'm going right. to order it from Amazon or I'm going to order which it from was, eBay. Which was great. Yeah. It was great because it was the the the, the, the hunt and the search. I was just going to say, yeah, yeah, it was more fun. Even though it was, you couldn't easily get what you wanted. It was the thrill of the absolutely. Hunt and, it was and you like finally it, found right, it. right. You find that Legs Diamond album that day. I felt like I hit the lottery ticket. In fact, if you told me lottery ticket Legs Diamond, I'm going Legs Diamond. But that's how it was, you know, um, because you really had to work for your collection. And it made it fun, and it made like, you'd go to bed with it on your mind, and wake up. I go to work the next morning. I got to get a day off to go to the village to look for this, that, and the other thing. It really was. You were just consumed with we have, it. We have time for more stories, of course. Oh, so so let's go here. I, I would so in the eighties, I would go to England, looking for records, and it was great. And I remember going to Reddington's Rare Records in Birmingham. Okay, so. Here's the Black Sabbath fan going to Birmingham, England to buy records. And I did find the Black Sabbath 45. (laughs) But I used to, so then I had made multiple trips, made some friends, had a place to stay. So I used to ship records by boat. In those days, they had sea mail. You don't remember sea mail? Yeah. You do? You You could ship over stuff relatively, not cheap, but... Cost effective. I could ship over a box of records to England by boat. It would take a month and a half, two months to get there. Right. But I send it to my friend's house. And when I had a few hundred records there, I would go. So now I have records and I would go trade because they were after American promos and I was after, you know, hard rock independent singles. You were working at Zigzag at that point? I think at that point I... Uh, yeah, I think the first, probably the first time I worked there, and then, then afterwards I owned it, but then I had to stop going because I owned it. Right. You know, responsibility. Yeah. But that was amazing. And I had seen early New Wave, like I said, early New Wave heavy metal bands. I saw it anyway. I saw Angel Witch and Rock Goddess and Girl School in, in England at the time. Wow. And just another quick story. We did the Motorhead install. And I said, well, it was probably around 82. I said, and they were really, really cool guys. Really cool guys. And we said, hey, I'm taking a planning a trip. You know, in a few months, we're going. Any way you could recommend that we go? Could we hook up or whatever? He goes, yeah, go to this bar. I think it was called Grey Bay. Go to this bar in London. 
Well, when? Anytime. Anytime during the week? Yeah, just go to that bar. So sure enough, a friend of mine, Frank, who I went with, we just picked a day. We go to that bar, and don't you know that the, some of the crew, and the, I, I forget, it might have been Filthy Adam hanging out at that bar. It might have been a Wednesday at 2 o'clock, and there they are. They're in the bar. <laughs> <laughs> so that, that's another thing I want to talk about. You talked about like shipping albums over and this and that and everything. That, that, Zigzag became like kind of a popular place for, for imports. Is that, that was? Yes, that's, yeah. Yeah. Credit to the original owner. Yeah. And in fact, uh, this, that's before me, they sponsored WNEW things from England. Oh, okay. And one of the employees, Bob, would go, his thing was get the new imports and bring them to WNEW to play. Okay. Yeah. I know personally, like for me, when I started going to the Staten Island store, that was kind of like I just was starting to get into imports. And, and Tom will know this, like, you know, there was a, like some mail order companies at the time. Like there was Dream Disc out of Indiana and there was a couple other stores in the Midwest there. Right. And I would just call these guys up and they would tell me about, well, what do you like? And I'd be like, well, I like this. And oh, well, then you'll probably like this, you know, band from wherever in Europe or something. And that's how I started. So I was just starting to get into buying imports myself. And of course, that's after I mean when the 80s kind of like, and everybody talks about that famous story, you know, Nirvana killed the hard rock, you know, at that time. And so I, I was like starving for for music that sounded anything. Oh like yeah, well, Dream Disc was a was a great play. That Brian Erickson was the guy, the main guy that owned that, and mm -hmm. terrific guy. He was like the Midwest Phil. Okay. So anything that I couldn't get from him that was I was dying to have, I would call them, and Brian would either have it or make it his business to get it for me. But that was also, again, before, you know, you could get stuff like just a couple of clicks on the computer. Right. Well, that was the thing. Like I said, I, I was ordering stuff, mail order from those places. And then when I find ZigZag and Staten Island, I walk in, there's this wall full of, like, import stuff. And I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> this is you remember Mike name. Shannon in, in uh, the UK? No. Yeah. He Mike was, Shannon was just another guy that you used to order directly from. I think he was related. He either worked for Shades back in the day or he did an offshoot from Shades. Oh, okay. I shopped in Shades when I went. Did you? Yeah. I want to say. That, it wasn't that great when you, like, you were disappointed when you went in. But it was, you know, obviously it was cool. Right. You were thinking like this. Mike Shannon was a guy that had, like, everything. Like, again, like, anything I couldn't get from Phil. But after a while, like, I was pestering him so much, he would go out of his way to find distributors. Like, I, I was really on his back constantly about Jap imports. And, you know, he I, after a while, he was basically getting me. He was getting everything for my fix. Yeah, well, <laughs> same for me. I mean, I would just, you know, tell you, I, I need this, I need that. And you'd order it, and then it would be there the next week or a week, two weeks later. You know, Japanese imports, whatever it was, you know. So, that, that was pretty Then he'd cool. call me up at work and say, uh, you have a pile of your shit here when you're coming in to get it. Right. Same, same thing with me. <laughs> I'd have the big pile with my name on it. You, uh, you broke my chops to get it, and uh, it's been it sitting here for two days. Where are you? Right. Exactly. Well, that's, again, that's that's another thing that was so great about like going to record stores and everything. And you, you don't have it anymore. Like you said, you, you click away on the internet or Amazon or whatever it is, and you're ordering something today. I think one of the most fun things about this, and unfortunately for the musicians that didn't make money at it and put a lot of time and effort in, but for us as fans, I think one of the most fun things is that you were into these bands that were really good and nobody knew who they were. Right. Because they yeah. were like your band. 
Like I was exactly. saying, Ryan, right? Right. You almost you almost resented the couple yes. of guys here and there that got big. Yeah. It's like how dare you? It was like that with Twisted right. Sister. Right. Like there's five of us in the world that know and love you. Yeah. How dare there be like a couple of thousand people? Right. That they weren't like yours you. anymore. Exactly. Right. Right. And I have felt that way, again, our mutual favorite bands of all time is Black Sabbath. I have felt that way about Black Sabbath for the last 20 years because we grew up in an era where they weren't played on the radio. They weren't allowed to be played on the radio. And they were not a band that were popular at all. Yet the weird thing is when you went to go see them at the Garden, and I saw them Sabbath, Bloody Sabbath, Sabotage, and Never Say Die, the Garden would be sold out. And again, it reminded me of wrestling when we used to watch wrestling on Channel 47 with the Rabbit Ears. And you would think, who watches this? And then I go to a wrestling match in the 70s, and the Garden was sold out. So So it was that cool undergroundness of it that was just... When was the only time Black Sabbath was played on New York radio? It wasn't WNEW. Yes. It was? Once a year. Once a year? Halloween night. Okay. Allison Steele would play the song Black Sabbath. Mm. That was it. Wow. No, because they've become such a household name, which quite honestly sucks because they were the complete antithesis of that. Sure. But... People don't, I don't either believe us or, or, or comprehend that they were not played on FM radio at all. No. At all. Well, nothing really was that was good. In order to get any new music or, or under, not even underground, but just anything, you have to go at the middle of the night on your radio and get college stations. Right. Well, right? that's. You wouldn't hear UFO, <laughs> Judas Priest, Ted Nugent. Correct. None of that. Right. None of that. What were some? Well, Nugent broke through. But Tom on the radio? Mm, Cat Scratch Fever. That's seventy-five-ish. I mean, uh, that wasn't played on the, on any New York radio. WNEW was playing Cat Scratch Fever. Mm. No way. I mean, you mentioned uh, like college radio stations. I mean, I, I being from Jersey, and it was a it was a pretty strong broadcast signal they played into New York. But WSOU. Changed my life. That that WSOU is what put me over the edge with the eighties. But now I, I I could say I listened to the to a lot and I discovered a lot of bands from listening to WSOU. But like you talked about, like you know the underground bands at the time, they were the Sabbaths or whoever. Like what other college radio stations around here were playing that that music? I don't remember the stations because I used to have the transistor radio and just see what you could get it at at one o'clock. Well, there was the WBAB out of Babylon. Definitely, because I remember I I, yeah. you, I I heard Kick Axe for the first time on there. They used to play a lot of the Canadian stuff. I heard uh, Helix for the first time on there. Wow. BAB in, in the early to mid eighties. I remember that station. Yeah. Well, yeah, it was it, it was it was a week. I I used to buy from Radio Shack. It was called a signal booster. Okay, and it would boost your FM signal, mm-hmm. and so you could pull in BAB stronger. But BAB was kind of ahead of its time. They so was, they, especially with the Canadian stuff. It was weird, right? Because we were so hungry for new music in our genre. And you would think, not like today, you would, you would really have to work to, to try to find Correct. it. So it was either magazines, college radio. Yeah, I left no stone unturned. <laughs> I really did. I left no yeah, stone unturned. Record stores. To try to find something new to listen to. Every piece so of knowledge I had was very hard work <laughs> <Right>. for. <laughs> None of it came by somebody telling me. It was all me. Right. I came from a very non-musical family. You know, I didn't have an older brother or sister that was into this stuff. I had parents that weren't into music. 
uh, wherever I came from, I don't know, but anything I learned over the years was from me. Yeah. Well, I say the same thing about myself, you know. I, I, I never had a mentor. I that music bug. Yeah. You know? Right. Right. Exactly. So it's... So we were lucky because it said the era... I don't want to sound old. I am old, but I don't want to sound old, but... And like I said, we're, we are music guys, so we're open to listen to anything. Probably you two more than me, but I, I like different genres of music that you don't like. Yes. But there's just there's just nothing out there. There's or very few. Even with the internet, where we could seek out things, I don't know. It's just it's yeah. a whole different lifestyle. Well, the 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 industry in the United States is just shut down for hard rock. And, yeah. and I another thing that I, I've grown to resent is that the amount of these cover bands and copy bands. Mm-hmm have even made it more suffocating for new bands yeah. that I've got to the point that I've never been a, you know, me and him, we didn't grow up in a cover band era. We grew up in an era where the actual bands played, but it's, we become such a cover, obsessed with cover bands. And yeah. I mean, a lot of the groups we saw did play covers, but not, but well, they play a cover song or two. Right. Yeah. Zebra. Yeah. Right. Sister right. Played cover, but not entirely. Right. They just threw some in. It sure. wasn't that, Total cover bands. Matter of fact, in those days, didn't they want original bands? Where then, then all they wanted was cover bands, as like today. Yeah. You know, Going to go play a bar, you got to be a cover band. Well, totally flipped around because yeah. you know. Well, Zebra Zebra took off. I saw Zebra in Long Island back in the day. I, it was way before they were signed to that first record. It was in in the seventies, mm-hmm. and Zebra was selling themselves on the Led Zeppelin thing. And the biggest reason was because the singer yeah. was able to do a drop-dead vintage right. Robert right. Plant. Yeah. So that was a way... I, I saw them at a place called Hammerheads in Long Island and right. probably, I don't know, it was way before that first album, maybe 77-ish. Do you remember Hammerheads? I do. Okay. Yeah. You do? Okay, the yeah. octopus? That I don't. They had a big octopus in the back. I don't remember that. that I mean, I was never octopus. there. I remember that. Oh, oh, okay. You never there. Wrong Bottoms? Yep. I that's why instead of going to when I used to venture out of Brooklyn instead of going to Jersey we used to go to Long Island because you right by the Bell Parkway in Garrison right. Beach and that's where you used to go out but I saw them back there way before but he was able to do Jackson and unbelievable yes. he he had he had Robert Plant better than Robert Plant did that were they at were that they time. doing the, the the Zeppelin sets like, it was entirely Zeppelin do and then they would play some All of their own stuff. material or Moody Blues. They would play Moody That's Blues. right. They used to do Moody Blues yeah. too, but okay. no originals. When I saw them, no oh, they originals. Even doing originals no. at that point. It was it was Zeppelin and a couple of Moody Blues songs. Really? Yeah. Wow. But this is again that first album came out in '83. That was '80. And there, how? Oh, under, this was the '70s. This how was, underrated was they with that first album? That's a great. Oh record. right. No, that's 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 a classic album. What album did that the first Zebra come out? '83. Mark said '83. Yeah. yeah. I saw them in the 70s. I remember it was, I would say, 78, 79 tops. But that's what they were doing. They it's were doing Zeppelin shows. Strictly a cover band at that but, point. But drawing, like, I remember one of the night I saw them, you, lucky you got in. I remember driving out there and being like, we're not getting in here tonight. That's that, another phenomenon, because as you were talking about, you can go to a club, then, Twisted Sister, Zebra, Good Rats. The Good just, Rats, yes. Let's just go on and on and on. Riot. Just yeah, Long Island on. had a really good scene in the very late 80s. Well, the I, was 70s. Gonna bring up, I was going to bring up Twisted Sisters. Is it that way band. today? No. I don't know. No. 
No, there's there's no scene. That's in the entire U.S. There's no scene. Well, it's like you said. I mean, you go and it's mostly like cover bands or tribute bands. That's whatever. the thing. And I've, I've I I never was a cover band guy to per se. That I thought that I couldn't watch one, but I feel like now it's actually suffocating the chance of any new band. Yeah, it doesn't really make sense, does it? <laughs> Why do I want to go pay eighty dollars to see a Fleetwood Mac cover band? Right. Or the let the Zeppelin cover band or the Queen cover band. So yeah. would you rather do that or see a new band that's right. a rock band? Right. Because we've become such an immediate society, nobody wants to digest new music. Yeah. You see, we're, we're three guys that did, we've done this our whole life. I love digesting new music, as long as it's a sound that I like. People just don't have it. it it's like why nobody reads newspapers anymore. Right. Nobody reads books. Nobody yeah. could watch a baseball game without wanting to change baseball because it's too slow yeah. nobody wants to hear something they want to hear a song that they've that they've heard for 40 years and could be any five goofballs up there playing it they're gonna be oh this is great right. well and, that's why stuff like the streaming like the spotify's and everything it's instant like you said everybody's you it's gotta the have society we live in it I, seems I to be up. more it seems to be more so in the u.s because i am very plugged in with a lot of overseas friends and the overseas scene which i know you are too mark yeah it seems like the europeans the japanese have more of a, a welcoming heart for new bands they've but always the, been a very diehard yes but the u.s too, is though. just it's very immediate and yeah give me a band that's doing a journey song i've had ten thousand times i'd rather listen to that than greta van fleet or right uh, you know uh, it's 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 disappointing but it is what it is yeah well we hope to uh basically keep expanding on that and, and future subjects as we uh, continue on with the podcast. And uh, it's only episode one, so uh, we hope you guys enjoyed that. little talk with Phil. We thank our special guest, Phil DiMenedetto. We'll be back many records. times. My pleasure. And yeah, we hope to have you back. And uh, like I said, we When we go video, he's, we're going to do a uh, memorabilia show. So. There you go. He uh, brought a couple have, things over today, but we didn't have the chance to I'm do that. I'm going to have so. to go into the, the zigzag archives. Go into the archives, because when we go video... <laughs> that's right. Yeah. So, anyway, I guess that probably covers this episode. Number Absolutely. one is in the books. And uh, appreciate it. Everybody listening. Hope everybody enjoyed the show. And uh, hopefully we'll be back on a weekly basis uh, uploading brand new episodes as we go along. So, we'll see you then. Bye. <laughs>